Blog Talk Radio. February the 28th, not a week year, as I figured out the other day, but it's even better if you could spend the last day of February with America's premier sports talk music program, Fanatic Radio, here on blogtalkradio.com, live from Studio 111. Me and the Media Production Center via Radio Saigon. You can check out the podcast on iTunes, but today we are officially wrapping up Olympics. We have Columbine talk, we got some NBA action, college basketball, and a little news about our good friend Mike Trout. I'm Michael Gardner. Join with me is Graham Burns. Ben Florence is on his way, and we'll also be joined by Brandon Latham later in the show, as he is going to help us break down the Oscars. How are you, Graham? I am excellent. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Uh, Good day, uh, Friday. Glad that March is tomorrow. Yeah. Because not only is it the last day of regular season in Patriot League basketball, where AU hosts Bucknell, where first 1,000 fans get a free hat, mm-hmm. but it's also the first day of March, meaning there'll be well, hopefully warmer weather and a week until spring break. Indeed. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'm also looking forward to is the combine, as our good friend Johnny Manziel has been under heavy criticism ever since he arrived at Indianapolis, most notably by our good friend Barry Switzer, former Dallas Cowboys and Oklahoma University head football coach, where he called him a very bad name we cannot repeat on this show. But and then he essentially apologized because his PR people sort of like, hey, you can't say that. But even better, he went on um, Nashville WNSR 560 and said this about Johnny Manziel and and players like him. Well, first of all, I would have a a long talk with Johnny before I drafted him. That's the thing these pros have an advantage to do right now. I haven't had that opportunity. I've said some negative things about him, but the same thing, I've said some great positive things about him. I I love his ability, talent, and play. I think uh, I've always said uh, I've never recruited a white quarterback. I said the only way I'd ever recruit a white quarterback to play for me was if mom and daddy happened to both be black and that type. And that's the only way I would do it. Because I, I'm a uh, my offense is, is a quarterback fullback offense or the wishbone ones, and uh, I have I'd have to have the Jamel, uh, Jamel Holloway's, J.C. Watt, Thomas Lots. Those guys are, are going to be my quarterbacks. They're great runners, uh, great ball carriers, uh, and uh, I, w- I wasn't in throwing but too much, but can be able to pass, complete some, and those guys could they could throw and run, but. Uh, I would go to Johnny and I would spend time with him and I'd find out and make my base my decision on what he has to say in my interview and my gut feeling about him then. Uh, this guy's he's got a little crap in his neck. Them, that, hey, there, I've had a lot of renegades and every football team does. That doesn't mean he ain't going to be a good player and he ain't going to help win some championships, but he's playing too important a position on your team uh, to, uh, you know, not to have a relationship, the head coach and the quarterback, to to be on the same page and him do what you ask him to do. 
basically saying he would never recruit a white quarterback. Ben, what do you make of all this? Barry Switzer going after Johnny Football. I mean, I, I mean, I really don't know where it comes from. The best thing about him saying, oh, I'd never recruit a white quarterback is that he did recruit. I, was say, I think he did. Yeah, he recruited Troy Aikman. Yeah. yeah. And he originally went to Oklahoma before he transferred to UCLA. And I'm sure there were other white quarterbacks that he, that he recruited as well. I mean, I mean, Barry Switzer, one of, one of few coaches to uh, win a national championship and a Super Bowl, probably the worst coach to do that because he basically came to the NFL after they fired Jimmy Johnson to basically be Jerry Jones' boy. That's basically what happened. And then he got uh, infamously fired from a loaded gun in an airport. But I mean, I really don't know where this has come from. Why he decided to call uh, I mean some arrogant little you know fill in the blank. So I mean, you in this comes on the heels of Ryan Jaworski saying that yeah I was going to mention that he wouldn't he wouldn't draft in the first three rounds, which of course whenever now Jaws says something like that, ESPN basically shuts down and it becomes the only thing they talk about. Like when he said that Colin Kaepernick could be one of the great quarterbacks ever. And that became the talking point for the next day and a half on ESPN and ESPN-related networks. So, um, but I, I really don't know where this came from. Barry Switzer, he's always had the reputation of saying things a little off the cuff, but I think mean, this just took it to a whole new level. Yeah. It was just completely uncalled for, and I don't, I just don't understand. I don't Barry Switzer. And, and Ron Jaworski's comments? I mean, Ron Jaworski, at least, like, he wasn't severely offending anybody. <laughs> I mean, it might have not been the most intelligent comment that he made about Kaepernick, but at least it wasn't derogatory yeah. in any way. And what he said about Manzilla, he also said, I've only watched, like, five games of his, say, so tape of five games, but one of them was the Alabama game, yeah. which where he went off, even though they ultimately lost, but he, they just played out of their minds to get back into that game. But, I mean, I don't agree with you, honestly. I think, like, listening to him makes kind of a valid point. But Barry Switzer, I'm like, well, I don't know what I don't know what he's going for, why, why he said that. And then comes up and said, oh, he want to recruit a white quarterback, which is, A, wrong. Because Troy Aikman himself pointed it out on Twitter. He retweeted the link, and he's like, oh, well, what about me? <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, he's pretty much... I feel like he's creating a racial stereotype here because he talked about how he ran his offense in Oklahoma. Yeah. If he wants a more quarterback, fullback offense, where the quarterback is more of a run, a great ball carrier and can pass. And so he's pretty much saying that black quarterbacks can do this better than white quarterbacks. Exactly. And I just don't understand why that was necessary to say. You mentioned guys like Jamal Holloway. Yeah. Uh, J.C. Watts, who then became a uh, congressman and may run for Senate in uh, Oklahoma now. Uh, Thomas Lott. But, and he did have a lot of those kind of quarterbacks. But it's interesting that he, he's, he's like, I never recruited a white quarterback. Because there are mobile, we've seen option white quarterbacks before. We've seen mobile white quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And we've also seen black quarterbacks that are not always, you know, mobile. You see, like, you know, guys like uh, – but Byron Leftwich, I don't know why he comes to mind. He was, he was the first person I thought of too. Yeah. Or um, Jamarcus Russell. Oh God. Well, Russell was athletic though. Then he got really, really fat. And then that, that just. Yeah, not Jer- not Jerry Lorenzo fat, but <laughs> that is just insane. Yeah, well, Jerry Lorenzo, giant foot. Who impressed you most the combine? Man, he's only run a four 
I, they're not less in, any less impressive than previous years. It's just teams have figured out that running back by committee is the best way to go in the modern NFL because it's really hard to load a guy up with 30 carries a game for multiple yeah. years in a row and expect him to be productive. I think Ray Rice really showed that this year. Uh, after the Ravens drafted him in, what, 08, 09, that range, he's, he's been their number one. They've had Bernard Pierce, but he's been maybe gained five carries a game. So I think this year finally caught up with Ray Rice. Their running game really struggled. And I, I just think in the modern NFL, the amount of hits you have to take in order just to run one, like, off-tackle play is enough that a running back can uh, – essentially drafting a running back in the first round can be a liability. Yeah. Because he could go down in the first preseason game. And you can find – we've seen guys can find running backs anywhere. Mm-hmm. A famous example of finding a quality running back not even in the draft with Marion Foster out of Tennessee for the Texans. And, you know, it's not a great running back class. You get guys like Bishop Sankey at Washington. Kadeem Carey. Kadeem Carey. Uh, Andre Williams Andre, from Boston College really hurt his draft stock because he's got – Awful hands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lace, he's trunk in a Baylor who he, he actually showed some decent hands because now the passing lead, you need your running back to be able to catch the ball, give you another weapon. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Currently, according to B-Flow360's mock draft post combine edition, yes. Bortles, number one, the Texans. Uh-huh. Greg Robinson, a tackle from Auburn to the Rams. Another guy that had a brilliant combine was him, and I think he's leading now past. Uh, Jake Matthews as the top offensive tackle now as of right now. Third pick is everyone's favorite, Javion Clowney, who proves that you can get arrested, but then running a good 40 time and having a good uh, broad jump gets you high in the draft. Johnny Football to the Cleveland Browns. Fifth, Teddy Bridgewater to the Raiders, Falcons. Khalil Mack, a defensive end. Sammy Watkins coming in in, uh, to Tampa Bay. He's another guy. That good wide receiver. Exactly. He's going to be the first guy receiver to go. He's pretty much top ten lock, I would yeah. think, at this point. And while he had a great combine, it really didn't help the stock because the stock was already strong regardless. Mm-hmm. So. And judging if Flo's draft is uh, correct, an interesting pick, number 10, Mike Evans, the yeah. Lions. And he had, you would look at his 40 time, he ran like 4 5 3. That's not great, but for a guy that's like 2 like six five two he is, third. He is a tight end. He is a, I think he, he has a prototype tight end body. But the guy had great hands and he's he's extremely tall. He's uh six five. So he's uh uh he's more like a Calvin Johnson body type. Maybe not the uh the ups that Calvin Johnson has are quite the hands, but they definitely need somebody on the opposite side field for him, especially after they released Nate Burleson mm-hmm. earlier. And they've never really had much of a threat opposite Calvin Johnson. Uh-huh. When Johnson gets hurt, then Stafford has to they just shut down. Exactly. Yeah, do the freak. Watching, watching clips of him at the Combine. Someone definitely to look out for. Uh, and uh, before we go to break, uh, I just wanted to give a, uh, a shout-out to Johnny Menzel uh, in, in light of all his... The beloved Johnny Menzel. Yeah, and all his media flurry. Uh, I'm surprised how you know said anything. And apparently he interviewed with teams very well, which is going to be key for him. But from what we've heard, he interviewed very well with a bunch of teams, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and so we'll, kind of, we'll go to break now. When we come back, talk some college basketball about how Graham's Q's is doing. 
Uh, Wichita State really worth a one seed after making history last week. And can the Eagles make the one seed in the Patriot League tournament? You listen to Snack Radio on blogtalkradio.com. Magnetic Radio. And whoever made the decision to give you this big fancy studio <laughs> is an idiot. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Log Talk Radio. Sitting in the morning sun. I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time I left my home in Georgia Headed for the Frisco Bay I've had nothing to live for And look like nothing's gonna come my way So I'm just gonna sit on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on a darker bay, wasting time. Look like nothing's gonna change. Everything still remains the same. I can't do what ten people tell me to do. So I guess I'll remain the same. Sitting here resting my bones And this loneliness won't leave me alone It's two thousand miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on a dock of a bay Wasting time Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Gets to Nowitzki. Anthony on Nowitzki. Nowitzki one-on-one with Anthony. Holds the ball. Holds the ball. Puts up a tough shot. Bounces the rim. Goes in at the buzzer. A heartbreaking defeat as Dirk Nowitzki wins the game. Unbelievable finish. And a crushing defeat for the Knicks here at the Garden. The crowd absolutely stunned. Serendipity paid off, but Dirk 
The shots has been way off in the second half, not a factor. And this time he gets the fortuitous bounce. Mike Breen on the call. Well, Frazier as well for yep, one card pressure. For uh, MSG Network, Knicks play the Mavericks on Monday. I was starting to made probably one of the luckiest shots I've ever seen. Uh, proving one, how the Mavericks still are in playoff contention. And on the other side of the spectrum, the Knicks are tanking, as always, to which uh, yeah, the, uh, the Carmelo trade rumors, and then they waived Meta World Peace, so he's now unemployed. And then you got the Raymond Felton scandal of how his ex-wife brought an unregistered gun to the courtroom. Don't be a Knicks fan. Don't do it. Sticking yeah. uh, on, once again, Spinac Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, Graham Burns. Brian Lewis will be joining us in a few minutes to talk some Oscar talk as it is awards season. Sticking with the NBA, your thoughts on the LeBron James mask? I, I was... I did not. I was not aware of the fact that he was going to be wearing that. So last night, I went on ESPN.com just to look at what had happened in the world of sports, and Batman just shows up right, <laughs> right on ESPN.com. It's a very interesting choice. I like the look though. It, it had an intimidating factor to it. A uh, little bit of Silence of the Lambs and Batman all mixed together. So I mean, it gives him an intimidating look. And I mean, he drops. Like thirty something points on the next shot, like that's hard to do. But mm. yeah, uh, they said it was his uh, fifth straight game of thirty or more. And yeah. in that span, he's averaging about thirty six points a game. And it's funny. A few weeks ago, we uh, mentioned at the midway point of the season, is well, uh, what will LeBron James do to respond to the great first half that Kevin Durant had? And I think he's uh, proving that, and then some. Your thoughts on this match, Ben? Uh, well, the mask is fantastic. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. It's like old school wrestler slash Batman. It's like it's made of carbon fiber. Yeah. It's just like badass. But you talk about how LeBron James is just playing out of his mind. And really, for the Heat, they just about needed to play out of his mind. you got Dwayne Wade, who's been banged up. Chris Bosh has had to carry heavy load. And they're, they're not very deep. So they basically need LeBron to carry the load. Just play out of his mind, and he's just proven that. Even though Kevin Durant is getting serious action in the MVP vote, that he's still the best basketball player in the world right now. I mean, you look at how how thin the Heat are on the bench when LeBron sat out a few couple of games because of his nose. They had Greg Oden start. Yes, and he has not started a game since. Uh, God knows when. Since the Nixon administration. Yeah. I will, I will give him credit. He actually has looked a little spry. Yeah. It's been, it's been, he's been a solid, solid contributor to that team. It's great to watch. Yeah. You the NBA news? Um, I mean, ever since the return of Russell Westbrook, the Thunder have lost three in a row at home, which they have not done since 2009. And so, Kevin Durant went on the scoring tear. They won... Uh, a lot of games, and then they bring back their second-best player, arguably one of the best point guards in the game, and they lose three in a row. So the Thunder has something to watch for the second half, see how they respond. Also, the Rockets, they've done they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. Even the All-Star break has been like five games deep. Uh, James Harden, 43 points through three quarters. And it looks like Danny Granger's going to sign with the Clippers. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a nasty move. And you know, but he's, even though they have no, absolutely no front court depth, but right. they probably still give him some minutes. Yeah. Push the action. And in the compete with the Spurs, who have consistently been great, 
enough NBA talk. College basketball, we go. I haven't talked about college basketball in a long time. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to AU, as I always do on this show. <laughs> Our last home game is is tomorrow. This game of the regular season is tomorrow. Play, right. play Bucknell, which always is a tough competition. Right. A little down this year because there's no Mike Muscala. But this is a Bucknell team that beat Boston a few, right. a few days ago. And first 1,000 people get a free hat. Free AU baseball cap and you look just like Doc Walker. Are you serious? Super serial. I didn't know we were getting hats. It's a fan appreciation day, and rightfully so on Senior Day, mm-hmm. even though there's still those home games because we automatically clinch as high as I think a third. Yeah, well, I think we um, we are still, one or two. I still think it's not as good as the women who had their Senior Day and then still had home games in the regular season after that. Fantastic. But yeah, uh, so last game of the regular season. Uh, not enough can be said about how well Mike Brennan has done with this team this year. Absolutely. Anyway, if anyone from the Patriot League is listening, please rec- please at least consider him to be coach of the year. I mean, he should. He should get it. He's got to be ninth to finish ninth out of 11. I think, I think those awards will come out next week. Yes. On Monday or Tuesday. So, well, next, so next week you will hear us either be very elated or pummeling the Patriot League for the woeful institution that it is for selecting someone like uh, John Jones as the... They're not going to pick John Jones as coach of the year. They, they better not. They, Brendan has to be it, without, without a shadow of a doubt. And then, I, and then I'll say Jesse Reed or show first-team Patriot League. I could see Jesse Reed getting it. He's been great. Or Pete. Well, the thing is, you know, it was interesting. You got so many, you got a bunch of good guards. You got a pair of talented guards in uh, Boston. So that guard composition, that's going to be uh, uh, a little too hot to handle. That's a Black Crows concern, let's say, back in the day. Yeah, hopefully win. Uh, best luck the women's team as well. Because both, both will be hosting first-round games on Wednesday and Thursday. I think both are at 7. Uh, women's is at 7 on Thursday. Men 7.30 on a Wednesday. So us being the two seed, potentially the one seed. Yes. Things look bright for AU. Absolutely. Very excited for that. Especially and we would be excited for that Thursday night game right before we have our midterm. Don Marcus actually gave me his blessing to cover the uh, to cover. Hey! Hey! Marcus. Man with a plan. All right, this funny New Mexico State I don't know if it's a game. Out, out, completely outrageous. Well, basically watching this, uh, they said suspended guard Casey Ross Miller hours after he uh, touched up a post-game brawl between Utah Valley and New Mexico State. Basically, okay. basically a guy throws the ball, and so it's the it's New Mexico State, they lost. I'm yeah. yeah, they were about to lose. They're about to lose, and this guy chucks the ball at a player. Goes off the guy's knee, and then walking back to uh, their huddles to eventually shake hands. All of a sudden, sparks this riot and brawl, and then you get the fans storming the court, and then it's just all mayhem and chaos ensues. Yes, yeah, but it's not the end. The guy who actually threw the ball runs back into the the swarm of green Utah uh, Valley fans and punches the fan. And, it starts, and then the fan retaliates and starts punching him. Starts throwing bows and causing a mayhem to which uh, 
many of the uh, people in the mothership are debating, uh, uh, should there be a limit on storming the court? Um, I say no. I don't think, uh, I think uh, storming the court didn't help the situation, but I don't think it was the cause of this riot. It was Casey Ross like, completely losing composure. Like, he threw the ball at a player. Like, what is that? Yeah, that's sort of the, the strikes two and three I right mean, there. You've got to be kidding me. And then... So, uh, again, fans storming the court. I hate the people that are like, you know, you got to act like you've been there. Like, first off, what does that mean? And second, I've got no problem, sorry, about uh, Nick uh, Graham here. I've no problem with fans storming the court. I wish fans would do it at our games. Yeah. But we tell we them a number of times to do it. Exactly. I, used to, I used to always think storming the court is you have to beat a ranked team. Well, I mean, Utah, I mean, who the hell is Utah Valley? New Mexico State's a solid team. Exactly. Yeah, those guys are like 7-5 from India or something. Yeah, like pretty much it was essentially the battle for the first place seed in the WAC conference tournament. Oh, far be it. The WAC? Yeah, the WAC. Yes. They were both they're the top two teams in the WAC. And so I can understand the, the storm in the court, but I feel like Utah Valley fans don't get this opportunity very often. So I assume this was, like, the one chance they would get. Several games, AU's had a chance to storm the court and blew it. First one was when we beat St. Joe's, which once in a blue moon, we were going to have an 8-10 opponent mm-hmm. on our home floor and yep. beat them. Second opportunity is when we won, when Danny Munoz hit that. Yeah, that was amazing three-pointer in overtime against our pseudo-rival Holy Cross. It was on national television, too. It was uh, CBS Sports Network. The great CBS Sports Network. And then the third, and then the third even though it was probably, it would be very disrespectful, I think we should have done it against Boston. Yeah. Just because everyone was so hyped at that game anyway. Well, well here's an interesting point. I read, uh, great, I read the uh, great Mark Titus on Grantland. He just starts off a post. Why can't road fans still on yes, the court? Yes, he talked about the Boston College-Syracuse game. Why can't... Exactly, why not? I mean, Syracuse has maybe the worst court in history to storm on because I, yeah. the security is very good, and they they intentionally place many people who are willing to pay around the court, and then the, the student section gets literally right behind the basket. Uh, so they only have one section, so it would be very difficult to storm a court in this situation. But Boston, their fans could have just come right off behind there. How cool college. would that have been? And uh, it, it, it'd be a revolutionary I idea. I mean, Boston College doesn't have any basketball fans. Exactly. They're all, they're all fans of the hockey club. Mm. Much, like, much like Boston U is what I've been told as well. Absolutely. We got the AP Top 25 and U.S. Today. Today's coaches Paul Graham's cues are fourth. First still in the... No. They play UVA. They're playing UVA tomorrow for the for whoever wins is first in the... Season. How about the Wahoos? Yeah. Twelve in the country. With a 23 and 5 record, shout out to Tony Bennett, not the uh, the great singer, the basketball coach, but the gr- former uh, Green Bay great and uh, son of the legendary um, I, I forget his name. I think it was Dick, was it Dick Bennett, his old man that coached legend at Green Bay uh, and then Wisconsin. And they had coached a few years at. Uh, Washington State was not successful, but then Tony Bennett took over them was very successful. Yeah, ironically enough, Dick Bennett, Virgi- yes, it was. Virginia did lose to Green Bay early in the year. That's right. And then there, there, were, there, were, there were serious question marks after that happened. That's right. And Virginia has been incredible in ACC play. They have gotten the benefit of a slightly easier schedule. They've only had to play Duke, Pitt, Syracuse, the, pretty much the top-tier teams. They've only had to play them once. 
how Syracuse has had to play Duke twice, Pitt twice. Um, so they've had an easier schedule, but still it's the ACC. Anything can happen. Yeah. They dominated UNC, barely lost to Duke, beat Pitt. So they've, they've got a lot of good things going for them. And they're the best defense in the ACC. Uh, they've got the best field goal percentage. They have the best offensive rebounding team. So it'll be really interesting to uh, see how these two defensive teams match up. Well, you can't forget about Duke because that's uh, the great Pete Gill once said, you know, uh, Duke is Duke. They're on not they're on TV more than Leave It to Viva reruns. Yes. Do your Q's can win it on the road? I think they're poised for a game where they actually play well. I feel like they haven't played well since the Duke get, the first Duke game. Uh, everything else has just felt like a lull where they're just playing to play. I mean, the pick game obviously was an extremely boring game up until the point where Tyler Ennis hit the three. <laughs> NC State was terrible until they made the steal right at the end. And Duke was – Duke, the second Duke game was a good game. It just got overshadowed by everything uh, blowing up at the end. So Literally blowing up. Tossed no. for the first time in 37 years. Tossed against Steve to win. Yeah. It was – I mean, it was really cool to see him get all up in arms because that's never happened before. But at the same time, it was the worst possible scenario for that to happen. And then you guys went into College Park, almost lost to Don Marcus's Terrapins. That's right. Which that would have been Ruby. Well, I would say a joke. But right, the, big, the, big, the two big stories, uh, because Kentucky lost to Arkansas for the second time this year, that's right. that was the first time they won on a putback. Tip slam, well, you, worst game of the year. Yeah, worst officiated game by far. They gave them the fiasco. Lost to Florida, who I picked it was the Final Four. Ah, how about you? They are now number one, and they're a team that has pretty much ripped through everyone like a buzzsaw, but surprisingly, number two. Mm. The only undefeated team left in the country, uh, Wichita State, who a shocker. made history on Tuesday. By beating Bradley 69-49, become the first team ever to go 30-0 and in the regular season. Throwing out some random facts, which could be our stats of the day. Why not? I didn't know we did stats of the day. Uh, the 11th team reached 30-0. The previous 10 uh, all hit during postseason yeah. play when they were in the tournament or the or conference tournament. Last team reached 30-0 was uh, the Running Rebels of 1991. Oh, boy. And that went 34-0 before losing to Duke in the Final Four. Probably early. Like the second most hated Duke player of all time. And then the last team to finish the regular season unbeaten was Jameer Nelson St. Joe's. That's right. 0-3-0-4, who was 27-0. Delonte West, too. Who I think lost to Kevin Durant's team. They lost to, yes, they lost to, no, they're in the Oklahoma State in the Elite and but they but they also didn't win the uh A ten championship either. They went in they didn't go in uh undefeated into the tournament. Well they still got a one seed, which led to a uh, great Billy Packer rant when people started to realize that Billy Packer was a, an ass and then the, off his rocker. The next team he tried to solve the O. J. Simpson. <laughs> that was the next team after that was Illinois with twenty nine and zero before losing its regular season finale at Ohio State. For I guess for Graham, our resident college basketball Guru, how good is this Wichita State team? Because Coach Greg Marshall was saying, you know, because a lot of coaches sort of play it off. You're like, eh, yeah, we're undefeated, but we got to stay humble. He says, quote, so is the first, and these guys like to be the first and the best. Uh, well, fun fact, first of all, if we're talking undefeated teams, the 1979 Indiana State team was a bird that wanted to defeat 
my mom was at Indiana State that year. Uh, she was she was actually at uh, well, it was that was the year they lost to Magic Johnson and uh, Michigan State in the final that year. The only the only time they've really had a shot at winning the final. But she was that was her freshman year at the school. Uh, cool. Yeah, take them hard, baby. Yeah, and uh, but in terms of Wichita State. A very interesting conundrum. I think they are better than last year's team, but they're not sneaking up on anybody. That's right. So one seed, one seed puts a lot of pressure on you. We saw it with Gonzaga last year. That was an interesting choice all around. I think it gets lost a little bit uh, that they almost lost to Southern in the first round. That's right. But Wichita State, it's just it's too it's almost too difficult to compare because they've dominated the only halfway decent team in their conference, which is Indiana State. They've played a really bad schedule. They've played a terrible schedule. I mean, I will give them. It is very impressive that they have won 30 games. I think they deserve a one seed. Yeah. Not the overall number one seed, but a one seed, probably the last one. Um, they should put them in the West region. Yeah, I just I, – I, uh, Ron Baker, Clay Anthony Early, all these guys – they're all they're all becoming household names now, and they might have been Van Fleet. They are they just they have more NBA prospects than maybe a team like Florida does. Yeah, Florida's got no NBA. Prospects. Florida really has nothing. Maybe Wilbekin, he's he's like a fringe, but other than that, Wichita State might have more NBA ready players. It's just a matter of they haven't played at a high level the entire year like a lot of these teams have had to do. Florida, they play in the SEC, so, I mean, they have Kentucky. But Georgia is the third team in the SEC yeah. right now. That's, that's where we're at this point. And there's no way, I don't think Georgia's making the tournament. So, they got teams, a lot of borderline teams like Missouri, Alabama, Tennessee. It's just not high-quality competition. Marshall Anderson in Ole Miss. Oh, Marshall. So many first four teams. Georgia is the third best team in the SEC. Yeah. So and football Fox doing a great job. Football has ruined that conference. Yes. And, but and another thing with Wichita State, we talked about the awful schedule. What really hurt them was Creighton leaving to, for the, yes. the new Big East. Mm-hmm. Because Creighton, and they, and they played in a fantastic uh, Missouri Valley Classic uh, or Arch Madness Championship on CBS last year with our boy Tim Brando and Bill Raftery on the call. But, and it, they, but Creighton left early to go to the Big East. They had the right idea, though. They, they absolutely had the right idea, and they've been awesome this year. They're ranked ninth in the country, and you're playing in the Big East, which is a significant step up, although the Big East is on a down year, obviously. Yeah, closer than that, like, but it's Syracuse Penn, almost. It's bad. still a step up from absolutely. the Missouri Valley, where their only competition would be Wichita State. Now, at least they have Georgetown, Marquette, uh, Villanova, who are okay teams. Xavier, well, they've these, are, these are a lot of last four teams. Against Villanova, they've averaged 98.5 points per game. Against the best team in their conference. You know, against the best team. Well, we all remember when they went 9 for 9 on three points yeah. to start out that game on January 20th. That was at Villanova, too. Which was yeah. insane. And, uh, and yeah, they killed them 101-80 the next time they played them. I mean, that's crazy. They shoot a lot of threes, but they're damn good, and they really hit those threes. And when... Doug McDermott is drawing quadruple teams like he did in the Villanova game. There's a picture of him after an off. He drove baseline, 
and every single player on Villanova's team, except for one, is guarding him at one point. Yep. And they took a picture, and it, it's incredible that one guy could do this. He's obviously a uh, player of the year candidate so far. Yeah. You know, hands down. 26 points. Uh, shooting 52%. He is, I'm pretty sure, a lot for the Wooden Award. Quickly on the baseball note before we get to uh, Oscar talk. Uh, quick shout-out to our good friend. I feel good. Uh, you know... With, uh, you know, the Angels could have just easily you know, did the same thing as they did last year. Uh, and, you know, uh, they obviously gave me, you guys all know, a million this year. And so, uh, it makes you feel good inside. It makes you, like you, uh, you feel like they, you know, they want you here. And, uh, you know, it means a lot to me. That's cool. Um, you know, I just go out there, you know, play the game. And, uh, you know, when the, if the money's where it's at, that's where it's going to be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always special, you know. Uh, like I said, when the Angels go out of their way, and it easily gave me, you know, 550 or whatever this year, and uh, you know they stepped, stepped up this year. So it it Chubb basically got a one-year, one million-dollar contract extension flow. What would you do at the extra mill that Mr. Trout got? I would, I would either save, put it in a savings account, or I would invest in the stock market. Nah, because I have no. Oh, they say no, no luxury. I do buy a tablet. You, you can buy a tablet. Buy a lot of tablets. Windows, Windows 8. Or, or buy a Ferrari and then beat it up with your own baseball bat. Yes! Too soon? How about that? Absolutely not. Yeah. Never too soon. Incognito. That, that story is a mess. Snacker doesn't even touch that story. More like we don't want to. Oh, well, we'll get to our spring training baseball talk uh, later on down the road. And it is time for what is uh, acclaimed by many as... And hated by few. And hated, hated by few as uh, one of the most popular nights of all, the Oscars, for uh, you movie buffs. We have our own resident FR movie buffs. Brandon Latham joins us in the studio. Hey, guys. How are you doing? How are you? Hanging in. Thanks. Getting excited for Sunday. Um, any big things to look out for? We'll go by categories, but uh, your overall thoughts on this year's Oscars? Uh, generally, at this point, there is gets kind of boring where you've sort of known for a few weeks what's going to happen. Um, and as of right now, we're fairly sure 12 Years a Slave is going to come out on top on Sunday. But this is the first year in several years that there is a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, big crowd favorites like American Hustle and Gravity are also right in the talk and the conversation. So I'm assuming you've seen all these movies? Yeah. All right. Um I guess, I mean, instead of going through every single one and saying what it's about, because you don't want to spoil, <laughs> what, what are your top three best movies from Best Picture? Uh, well, my favorite of the Best Picture nominees is definitely going to be The Wolf of Wall Street, mm. Scorsese's newest movie. It's, With uh, my boy Leo DiCaprio. Absolutely. One of his best performances ever. <laughs> he absolutely lets loose. Uh, his top performances to date, like in The Aviator or in The Departed, He's been sort of a mimic where he's playing a character that we know, and he's excellent at it. This is the first time where he sort of just goes out and creates a character and absolutely just rips one out of the ballpark. Uh, this movie definitely earns its comparisons to Goodfellas and Scorsese's use of movement in the camera and the voiceover. It's a complete movie. It might be the only complete movie nominated for Best Picture. Give a shout-out to Goodfellas here on Snack Radio. Love that movie. And Goodfellas didn't even win Best Picture. Exactly. Is it true that Wolf of Wall Street, does it have the record for the most F-bombs F-bombs in a movie? That's hilarious. Okay, so Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, 
I'm going to say gravity, just for the sake of dropping it in there, because it's not going to win on Sunday, even though it should. Um, gravity, is, I always use this phrase, and I didn't get to use it for a while this year. It's what going to the movies is all about. It is a big movie to be watching on a big screen that draws you in virtually one character through the entire thing. You hear voices of other people, like on the radio. More or less just one character. You're locked in on Sandra Bullock for the entire movie. Emmanuel Lubezki is one of the great directors of photography ever. It is about time he got his Oscar for cinematography. and just locks you into a story for two hours with almost no dialogue. and not for a, You wouldn't want it a second shorter. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that's going to win a lot of, uh, like... Uh, the technical... Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. I, I saw a YouTube video of all the, the CGI and stuff that went into it. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Mine was blown. Was I was like the guy in the uh, AT&T commercial. <laughs> I thought that was George Clooney, and who doesn't love George Clooney? And who is your number three favorite movie? Um, we're going to go with her. Uh, Spike Jones. who... I actually, that's the only, one of the only movies on this list I actually saw. I saw that. What'd you think? And uh, Philomena. Well, I, <laughs> I like her. Her is one of her is one of those. I heard her was awesome. One of those sentimental, touchy movies yeah. that warms the hearts of millions. And we love Joaquin Phoenix. That guy is awesome. That guy's unreal. Yeah, he's just so toned down. And the way this movie works is it's supposed to. Spike Jones called it the near future, the slight future. I think was the exact phrase he used in describing the setting of it. So it's at once recognizable and at once like utterly ridiculous where you walk out and you want to turn on Siri on your phone and you, you get second thoughts because, like, you don't know exactly how this is going to play out. And um, so the character of Samantha being the computer is very interesting in that way. And I guess when he started writing it, Siri hadn't come out yet, which if it had come out when he did that before Siri, we would have all thought this was just stupid. But now it, it's just believable enough. And just some of the cool stuff that they do, just the little things in that movie are fantastic. It's shot in Shanghai. A lot of the cityscapes are very cool, very... The color tints they use make it seem almost nostalgic, even though it's supposed to be in the future. And it's a really strange feeling. They have all this futuristic technology, but, of course, he helps her see by using just a little safety pin in his breast pocket. Very creative twists from a very creative guy. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, touch on some of the movies that we didn't mention. Uh, Captain Phillips is basically based on the book about the uh, Somali pirates. Uh, what is Nebraska about? Nebraska is an Alexander Payne film. He came onto the scene a few years ago with Sideways and The Descendants, which were very successful. Sideways. Um, uh, and that is Bruce Dern stars as an older man who gets a mail-in rebate coupon in the mail, but he thinks he's won the lottery. And he's not altogether upstairs to his son, who's played by Will Forte, decides to like play along with it, let him have this one. So they drive across the state to go claim his prize that doesn't actually exist. Aw. <laughs> okay, I mentioned Wall Street, 12 Years a Slave. Um, I pr- I'm pretty sure everyone knows what American Hustle is. I saw American Hustle. You think it was a good movie? I thought it was great. Is that the only movie on this list you've seen? That is, uh, <laughs> that is actually the only movie I saw. And, uh, great movie, but uh, it doesn't seem like a movie that's going to win Best Picture. It had a lot of great performances from what I've heard from people. I mean, I had a ball. I mean, it was it was a fun movie to see. But I've heard from people like I think a guy in Grandland described it. All right, he got uh, uh, David Russell got the cast, then he scripted it, got performances, but didn't put it completely all together. But it's still a very fun movie. So, but I've heard that it may not be 
uh, best picture worthy. But I mean, we we've learned to expect anything with the Oscars. So yeah, this may be great film. Between this and American Hustle, that is, and her, David o. Russell might get his Oscar for original screenplay because uh, it is a witty, fun movie. Exactly, it's sharp, and it's based off of a truly re- absurd but real story. And the movie's even more absurd. I love the very beginning that comes across on the black screen. You see the text: "Some of this stuff actually happened." <laughs> they make no claims that they're doing this like a documentary. But at the same time, they want you to understand that this isn't as ridiculous as it may seem. Yeah. All right, and uh, shout out to my city. What is Dallas Buyers Club about? I'm ashamed I have not seen that movie yet. <laughs> Considering looking at the uh, poster, the background is of uh, my dear city, with Matthew McConaughey looking like a very young Richard Petty. <laughs> what is Dallas Buyers Club? I've actually been to the place where they filmed some of it in the uh, the info mart. Of a, well, how do you know what it is if you know where the show is? I don't know. I've seen the trailer. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Infomart is off of uh, I-35. We love I-35. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm a big fan of the North Dallas. Totally. It's, it's basically a building. Uh, I guess what, you, what it used to be is if you have new things with medicine, technology, it's like a giant antique road show. And it's like all glass buildings. So like, what, is it, what exactly is it about? Well, buyers clubs in the 80s were sort of under-the-counter um, medication buyer's clubs, where if you had a disease and you couldn't get your meds the traditional routes, you would join one of these buyer's clubs and they would be shifting illegally. So Matthew McConaughey plays a character who goes to Mexico to buy this drug that is not FDA certified because he has AIDS, and he sells it out, and it becomes this big legal situation for the second half of the movie. Uh, first half of the movie, more or less, is about him being a homophobe and rejecting the fact that he has AIDS. So it's a movie that's really of the moment right now. Um, and that's going to get him his Oscar, no matter how much I love Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> um, and Jared Leto, mm. of all people, might also, actually probably will also get one for Dallas Buyers Club. He plays a transvestite who becomes McConaughey's partner of sorts. Critics didn't love Leto's performance. I didn't love Leto's performance. But um, it's the type of risky, risk-taking, bold role that just is the character that the acting wing of the Academy loves to honor. So you think 12 Years of Slave is going to win it? I do. I don't think they it's the movie like, of the year. I feel like they always favor the historical movie. Yeah. You get the Hurt Locker. I mean, you get also like sentimental films. Exactly. Like, you mentioned Hurt Locker, yeah. um, Argo last year. You mentioned the Hurt Locker. That's what I was thinking about. Even in October, when Gravity started getting all this buzz, because I remember in 2009, Avatar was the big movie. Mm, that's right. Avatar wins the Golden Globe. Avatar wins Critics' Choice. And the Hurt Locker sweeps all the big ones at the end of the year. So I definitely saw very much a lot of parallels. you got the big technology fun to look at a movie like Avatar and Gravity beat out by the much more thought-provoking, steady film. Like and, Warriors. of course, you had the very fascinating of the James Cameron, Catherine Bigelow yeah. storyline of that. I mean, I, I, I like Avatar, but I didn't know if it was the best picture. No, I... I thought it was yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty. All right, for actress in a supporting role... We'll go start from the ground up, leading to a I like, my favorite award, Best Actor. I like that you started with this one, because this might be the closest race. Yeah. June Squibb hasn't won yet. She's in there for Nebraska. Julia Roberts is an icon, obviously. 
and Sally Hawkins, nobody doesn't love, but they're going to be the also-rans this year because Jennifer Lawrence is everyone's favorite person, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the most charming human being alive. That's my drug, of course. <laughs> so she's in for O. Russell's American Hustle, and obviously she won last year, and obviously David O. Russell is somebody that the Academy loves. And if American Hustle is not going to win anything else, they might throw it a bone here. But coming out of the Toronto International Film Festival, where 12 Years a Slave premiered, Lucas Nyong'o was the talk of the town. This is her first performance. Most pundits think Nyong'o is going to win, but some of us acknowledge that there's a lot of politics involved in this, and <laughs> nobody doesn't like Jennifer Lawrence. So I'm actually going to go with Jennifer Lawrence for the win in this category. Well, who do you have winning this? Um, I think that uh, Julia Roberts for uh, August Osage County. No, I don't think she's going to. I think uh, <laughs> I, I agree. It's going to come down to Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Lupita Nyong'o. I think Lupita Nyong'o, I think she's actually going to cork it out because Jennifer Lawrence did win it last year. And I think that, you know, because who was it? Uh, wasn't there that girl that was nominated last year? She was like eight years old. Oh, yeah, and, for uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like the, the Academy loves to do that. Uh, uh, ooh, I feel like Abigail Breslin won an Academy Award. Oh, no, maybe I'm thinking of something else. I think Lupita Nyong'o is going to win it. So before I just say more things that end up being wrong, I think she'll win. Actor in a supporting role, we have Jonah Hill, one of my favorite <laughs> people of all time. <laughs> It took, like, a, like, it took like no money to be in that movie, too. Yeah, it was fantastic. He He's always been in a good supporting role. He was in uh, Moneyball. Moneyball, yeah. He's fantastic. In uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Get Him to the Greek, <laughs> where he plays uh, Aaron, the uh, guy from the record company who has to get Russell Brand to L.A. Yeah, I like the classic. I thought that's super bad. <laughs> exactly. But uh, <laughs> you got some other good, good ones. You got Michael Fassbender, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. I think Fassbender might have given the best performance of the year. He's gritty in 12 Years a Slave. He plays the sort of vindictive plantation owner. He's very aggressive. He cuts loose. He's been working with director Steve McQueen in every McQueen movie, actually. Um, he got snubbed at an Oscar nom a couple of years ago for Shame, which he was unreal in. Um, had to name drop that. Um, so it's probably going to come down to Leto being the commanding favorite and either Fassbender or newcomer Barkard Abdi, who plays Muse in Captain Phillips, who already has his niche in American popular culture for the line, I'm Captain now. <laughs> uh, he is uh, the most loved, hated person in movies, considering he plays the role of a Somali pirate. In the U.S. Right. could say, right. beat them silly. Now he was an actress in a leading role, full of historic people that have won it, yet my girl Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock, Judy Dench, and everyone's favorite, Amy Adams, who played... I forget her name, but she was... Uh, she, uh, I don't know. Uh, she was Amelia Earhart in a nice museum of Smithsonian. That's right! That is right! I didn't see that. I didn't see the first night. That's not the same. That's Smithsonian. Was the second night's museum good? I don't think it was. I think just the fact I that it was I enjoyed the first one. I thought the first one was good. Apparently they're making a third one, too, and it made me upset because the first one is great, and that's it. <laughs> Brandon, who do you think is going to win this? Uh, Kate Blanchett's probably going to win this for Blue Jasmine. She's been the front runner pretty much the whole season. That's 
Woody Allen's latest film. Mm. Um, love Woody Allen. Absolutely love Woody Allen. Shame that we seem to be the only people right now in the world who love exactly. Woody Allen. We love it for his humor and his way to make wonderful things on the silver screen. Yeah, Kate Blanchett's the favorite. I didn't love the film, but she was definitely carried it. What is Blue Jasmine about? Um, she is married to a character played by Alec Baldwin, who is sort of a wealthy New York socialite, and she begins puzzling it out that his wealth is of questionable legality. And um, when she finds out he's been cheating on her, he she calls him out, she calls the police, and obviously that ends that relationship. So she has to move in with her sister, played by Sally Hawkins, also nominated, mm. um, and tries to start over on the West Coast and put her life back together. Flo, do you think Meryl Streep will win it again? No, I think it's going to be Queen Punch. You know what's interesting about Blue Jazz in the movie I didn't see, but, but wasn't Andrew Dice Clay in that? There are a lot of people in that. Andrew Dice Clay was yeah, in boy. it. Yeah, boy. Louis C.K. was in it. I know. I knew Louis C.K. was Louis C.K. also in American Hustle, and he was he was awesome in that. But I think Kate like, Blanchett will win it as well. But I think Sandra Bullock could get some, you know, could make a late run at it, make a late run out of turn four. But I think it builds. I think it's. Kate Blanchett's to lose. Yeah, considering ninety of gravity is her. Exactly. Well, I didn't. She is the movie. Yeah. My boy Clooney, of course, who is not nominated for actor in her leading <laughs> role, but we will uh, gloss over that. Uh, you, you pick Brandon McConaughey is going to win actor in a leading role for uh, DBC. Matthew McConaughey. What the Academy does is it doesn't exclusively award what's the best. It sort of encapsulates what is happening at this moment in the world of entertainment. It's like the Grammys. But go on. Matthew McConaughey. Well, the Grammys is just absolute garbage. <laughs> God, we love that punk. There's a little bit of validity to the Oscars. Matthew McConaughey is on a two-year tear that is yes. unmatched by anyone. He was in a movie last year called uh, The Paperboy that was fantastic and a few small indie films last year. He came at the beginning of this year with Mud, which I think he could have been nominated for Supporting Actor for. He carried that movie. Um, right now, he's running the table in True Detective, so he's still on everybody's mind. And don't forget Bernie. He did with Jack Black. He's the, he's he's the, the DA. Yeah, that was a great deal. He even had the uh, very short but very memorable appearance in The Wolf of Wall Street at the beginning there. The chest pounding scene, he becomes sort of a mentor to Leo DiCaprio's character in some of the flashbacks. So he is... Absolutely running the table right now. He's on top of Hollywood. DiCaprio would be probably second. Is my favorite performance of the year. And just, I remember reading an article. Uh, Richard Brody writes to the New Yorker said that of Leonardo DiCaprio that remember that he's 39 years old and that Humphrey Bogart didn't come into his own as an actor until his late 40s. And just think about the pace that Leo DiCaprio is on to be remembered as one of the all-time great screen stars. And that's what I think he wants to do because he's doing these roles. Continually does these roles that are going to be that are essentially Oscar. Yeah, in a way, he makes movies that are going to matter for a long time. Wait, starting Inception, which I think is one of the greatest movies ever. Oh, it's incredible, yeah. yeah I mean, that movie's awesome. Continues to uh, to blow my mind. Flo, who do you have winning? I think McConaughey's going to win, thought. but i got to get some love. You know, I didn't see 12 years to play, but I do know Chiwito Ejiofor. One of the real underrated actors. He's been around. He's done a bunch of things back and forth. 
Uh, isn't really well known, but I, from, from what I've heard, he is awesome in 12 Years of Saints. So I think he could get some pub. I think DiCaprio will be in the mix as well. Uh, maybe Bruce Dern, which would be uh, a great win. I don't think Christian yeah. Bale's in the mix, even though that movie's great. He is. Dark Knight's not going to win. I don't think he's going to win. For what? Dern, it would be like a life achievement award if they gave it to Bruce Dern. For Igea 4, I definitely agree that he was fantastic. I do want to throw in for the best actor conversation, though, a big snub. One of my favorites, Oscar Isaac for Inside Lewin Davis. The perfect Academy role. I was shocked when he didn't get nominated. He does his own singing, plays the guitar by himself. I actually got a chance to talk to him a couple of months ago. He was in D.C. Uh, for a screening of the film. Talked about preparing for the role. It's a Coen Brothers movie. He talked about how Miller's Crossing was one of his favorite movies when he was in high school and what a dream it was to work with the Coens. And they tend to have success at the Academy Awards, but Inside Lewin Davis got largely ignored, and that's certainly one of the holes I'm seeing in this year's nomination pool. Any other big awards that is not, you know, obviously actors or best screenplay? Best director. Or best, uh, yeah, any other awards? The big one? We got for? Everyone seems to think that cinematography and director and sometimes screenplay are the ones that predict the best picture. It really usually comes down to the production and art design and uh, editing. And right now, that's why I think this, these two are the ones to watch because editing, you cannot say enough about gravity just the way that it's pieced together, and again, it holds your attention for two hours watching Sandra Bullock spin. Um, but at the same time, 12 Years a Slave is simply unrelenting, and Catherine Phillips won the Editor's Guild of America Award, top honor, so that seems to be a complete toss-up. I think Gravity is going to have the edge there, but if 12 Years a Slave wins editing on Sunday night, you can all turn off your TVs because that's going to win Best Picture. And for production design, it's really interesting that all five nominees are very different movies, oh. nominated for very different reasons. Great Gatsby, I forgot about that. Gatsby is nominated as the really showy, hyperbolous, in-your-face movie that's just decked out in period stuff. It's a great soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. <laughs> and 12 Years of Slave is the really subtle, very accurate historical epic. American Hustle's somewhere in between those two. Gravity was acclaimed for how accurate it was. I've read stories about astronauts seeing the movie and being like, it is ridiculous at how they got every tool down to the right, perfect thing in the production design. And then there's Her, which I've already mentioned, is just extremely creative, subtle things, the costuming with Joaquin Phoenix's hair, <laughs> with the color palette used in the movie. Really, all five of those movies stand a chance in that category. In the end, I think it's going to be something are one of the really more safe choices, be it Caspi or Slave. And that's another one where if Slave wins that, then it's more or less over. Mm-hmm. Well, what is your favorite award? Sub-award, other than the uh, the big five. My favorite award has probably got to be the sound mixing. Because sound mixing is one of those things where it's you, you don't go to a movie and say the sound mixing is great. But when you see uh, when it's before the sound is mixed and then after... It's just—it's really amazing stuff. Oh, you mean sound? Oh, sound mixing. Yeah, I'm gonna say I think I'm fair to say there is no such thing. But well, there you go. <laughs> sound mixing and sound editing are the type of thing that you know it's good when you don't notice it. Exactly. Exactly. 
That's your favorite award. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I'm just throwing one that's off the, you know, off the beaten trail. All right, I can well, see that. I'm just throwing it out. I there. can see that. I want to give a shout out to, uh, you know, best original song. Where is that? Yeah, yeah, mu- in music. Happy from the too. <laughs> With my boy Pharrell is a nominated song. We love Pharrell. You, this song was featured on the mixtape for women's basketball. So you know it's a good song. And it's the only, it's the first ever 24-hour music video uh, in which there are several YouTube videos of just him walking around the streets of L.A. at like 2 in the morning, which I don't think is safe considering I've never been to L.A. But So then you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Well, he must be in a really nice part of town. Man. But it also looks like he's in the same place for all the... Uh, Probably. For 24 hours. For all the 24 hours, in terms of, like, the street walking. Any other final uh, thoughts on the Oscars, Mr. Latham? Uh, favorite movie that did not get nominated? We can do that for just a short time. Absolutely. Um, the Crude. The Crude is nominated for animated film. That category needs to go back to three movies. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, the Wind Rises. Well, me too. They better win. I love that. The Wind Rises for animated film was fantastic. Go see that. English dub or subtitles is a Japanese film. It was gorgeous. Um, Favorite movie that didn't get nominated, Blue is the Warmest Color, was one of the best movies of the year made by anyone in any language. The fact that it didn't get nominated for foreign language film is an absolute travesty. Um, Which show was this? Blue is the Warmest Color. Which is this? Two teenage girls from France who fall in love. Lovely. Didn't that win... Con. Yeah. In the Palme d'Or Con. Yeah. And it didn't get... How about, you know, how about that? A famous movie flow. Another fun fact. Pulp Fiction once won that award. It did. But Pulp Fiction didn't even win that picture. That's the point. <laughs> We're comparing. That movie got snubbed. Blue is more color got snubbed. Flow was the best movie you saw this year that is not on this list of best pictures. Uh, wow. Uh, what movie should I see? This year? Anchorman 2. No, Anchorman 2. Or like Oz the Great and Powerful. Uh, <laughs> Which well, apparently it was promoted by AU. And like basketball games for like quite some time. No, I think someone that was on like the producing side of it. It could be. Boy, uh, James Franco in it though. We do. Love James it. Franco also got snubbed. He's Spring Breakers, entertaining movie. He plays uh, like rank gangster slash oh, like rapper guy, right? Who is like, an rip off of Riff Raff, and he nails it. That's what I heard. I heard really Spring Breakers is great. It is. It's. It's a hard watch. It's really highly stylized. But not a ton happens. Right. Kind of like, like my life. Aw. <laughs> what was your favorite movie this year, Flo? I didn't really see that meant too many movies. What movies did you see then? Uh, I saw American Hustle. I saw Maker Man 2. I, I can't remember if I saw anything else. So I'm going to go with American Hustle. I think that would be it anyways. Unless I saw one like... The best movie I saw this year, um, I got to say Rush. The Ron Howard movie. Not not to my bias, I'm a huge racing fan, but in terms of, yeah. of someone taking a, an idea and not Hollywoodizing it. That's right. Ron Howard did a very good job. Uh, because I went to go see it with, uh, with our good friend Lena Compton, who, who only knew it for the fact that... Chris Hemsworth was in it. That <laughs> was uh, racing, which uh, her dad is a huge, huge race car fan as well. But she was saying it, it was exciting for some parts, because there are some parts that uh-huh. Mickey Lott almost dies in a fireball. Exactly. But she was saying for the most part it was really boring, but I was like, well, that's actually how it happens. Exactly. That's, 
from what I've heard about it, because it is a really cool story, but it's interesting they made that into a movie because not a lot, not a whole, a whole lot of people know about that. And that's another thing. And that's the thing. Like, people don't know, like, well, people will know Nicky Lauda, not only, people will probably remember James Hunt for being a broadcaster on the BBC for such a long time. But, uh, yeah, I didn't see Rush. I don't know if it was as good as the uh, the classic Sylvester Stallone uh, Driven. Uh, awful movie. <laughs> God awful. None of the other Kevin Hart movies got nominated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. Right Along was great. Right Along, he was in the one with uh, Stallone and De Niro. Oh, yeah. Well, he's in a new one now that's actually supposed to be good. That's um, the one uh, about last Frank Lee, yeah. Right? Isn't uh, Zac Efron in that? No, no. Zac Efron is the one that's coming up that's called That Awkward Moment. So there's about, there's about last night and that. Oh, hey, I like it. All automated Texas on your mobile device. We do love, we do love Texas. The brand like here is our Oscars. Aficionado. We have a tweet as well. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bobby. Keep that funk alive. Keep that funk alive. Mm. Well, it's 1975, and I'm going to be keeping the funk alive. It's time for the uh, critically acclaimed segment, Tweets from Flo. Well, we, were, we returned back to Twitter. You but, say it's critically acclaimed. Like, the Golden Globes. Fair enough. The Guild Awards. Tyler Tamea. Tyler Tamea, who actually came up with the idea. That's right. Well, I give him a quick shout-out. As um, Eric Saltzman and I were talking on reporting <laughs> class. Why? Why are you talking to Saltzman? Yes, because he mentioned if I was going to the uh, the ESPN thing that's happening next week, which basically is to fill the shoes of Tyler Tamea. Mm. But that's an info. I might go, but I probably won't go. The first, I saw them today, today. Because I'm awful at, at analytics and stats and all that. And hosting a radio show. Well, it has nothing to do with stats and info. Well, yes, it does. We have a stat of the day. That was a good stat of the day. What was their stat of the day? It was uh, Wichita State. It's That's the right. Worst team ever to go 39 in the regular season. I like Wichita State. Last State. team to do that. I'm defend them. Last team to do that was uh, the Running Rebels. The interesting fact is the teams that went undefeated ended up losing. As Graham was saying, Wichita State is destined to be that one team that gets upset. But looking at Flo's Twitter, um, they don't even agree with that. Sorry. Uh, yes. Okay, yes. Oh, boy. I overheard someone on the phone. I was in the line for that restaurant, Freshy, the place where you get the awful burritos and uh, veggie wraps and whatnot. Where is that? It's, um... It was Ord Einstein's. Oh, oh, in, uh, oh, in, uh, in, in uh, okay. Uh, fun fact, another fun fact, Everard works there. As you mentioned, our boy used to work in Subway. And I saw him earlier today. He's now, because we thought, he, we thought he died. We thought he was gone. No idea where he was. I didn't think he died. Or got kidnapped or moved. Got kidnapped? Or went to go work at Catholic or Howard, whatever. <laughs> He's after you now. So, everybody is there. However, however, relate to Flo's tweet. Basically, you tweet, uh, again, Brewer made the right call in her veto. After all, hiding behind religion to discriminate against gays is a disgrace. And the Arizona Why did you pick that the ball in my sleeve? Even beyond that, had no limits, it could have been determined all sorts of civil rights laws. Basically, because um, this is the uh, 10, uh, 1026 ruling in Arizona. That's right. Which, I don't know, what is the, the, the thing, the baseline of this rule? The bill was that, um, it was passed by uh, the Arizona legislature, and it said that uh, places uh, like a restaurant or, like, I don't, I, 
I, I don't know, like, the, uh, the whole text. But basically what it came down to is that they could deny services to hypo hypothetically a gay couple if they didn't agree with gay marriage. And it would own the restaurant. Exactly. And it was interpreted as, uh, well, they said it was a religious freedom freedom bill. The problem is that we've seen some of the bills like this, but none of them got actually passed before it got vetoed by uh, Arizona's governor, uh, Jan Brewer. But it really didn't have, it, was, it didn't have any limits. And it, had, it was just, you know, it, the bill was completely outrageous. And Anderson Cooper had a guy in to try to defend it, and he was like, Anderson Cooper was like, well, do you have any case of discrimination where this bill would have, uh, you know, and, and the guy was like, well, no, how about tomorrow? He actually said that. So, I mean, but it, it was interesting we tied it to sports. The uh, there was in the Super Bowl again a couple of years in Glendale at a University of Phoenix Stadium. I think it's the, the next Super Bowl. Uh, I think it is, actually. And the NFL was threatening to move the game if this bill was in place. And, and they got a lot of heat, not just from people on the left, but a lot of people on the right, uh, both uh, Arizona senators, so uh, Mitt Romney. Um, but then, and the, the, the thing is, you know, what's interesting about moving the Super Bowl, this has happened before with Arizona. Arizona won the Super Bowl win, which ultimately came when the Cowboys beat, destroyed the, the Bills. Super Bowl uh, uh, 29 or 28, I think so. one of them. The Jimmy Johnson is. Exactly. And and where Barry Switzer. Exactly. And, and where Barry Switzer comes in is that because Arizona was the second to last state to institute Martin Luther King Day, recognize it as a holiday. And so at the end, there was a huge outroar. The NFL said, you can't do that. We're, we're going to move the game to the Rose Bowl. And then eventually they ratified Martin Luther King Day. And they gave the Super Bowl, which was won by the Cowboys over the Steelers at Sun Devil Stadium. Super Bowl 30, exactly. Coached by Barry Switzer. Ah, yeah, uh, so that, that was the sports title. Listen, and Valanda Freshy, a girl on the phone, was talking about how uh, uh, there was a petition to boycott the Super Bowl if the NFL put it in Arizona. But, of course, after this bill, yeah, it's, um, it was vetoed, ultimately. So I am intrigued that you picked actually a serious uh, tweet, because usually we come up with the tweets from flow is usually something ridiculous. Although I don't know if I've had too many ridiculous tweets, but, uh, but you know, got to gotta work hard and play hard. Right. Yeah, but that's yeah. Glad we actually full circle the tweet. Oh, you you retweeted my tweet. Yeah, which I will I will give a shout out to. All right, so there's a store. So for those that aren't, aren't familiar with the American University, there's this restaurant called Megabytes. Great venue. That I don't know what it is. It's like it's like half Indian cuisine, half deli, half hodgepodge, half convenience store. How could it be multiple hats? Exactly. That, that's the thing. So I'm, so <laughs> my four years here, there have been two times this place has closed down due to health code violations, one being recently, I think like two or three weeks ago. Yep. Uh, so they opened it again for the second time. And you think, uh, you know, two strikes, they're on pins and needles. The same people work there. It's Nothing has changed. So... And this is a great. You went. You went there. I went. Yep. But it's a great. It's a great story. The fact that there's crates of drinks outside waiting for the taking, and they've had rat problems for like three years, and it has never been fixed. They do make a great bulgogi sandwich, which is a Korean barbecue, mm. tomatoes, lettuce, mayo. And you do love Koreans. It's very good. And the funny thing was that you retweeted 
Uh, so they're back with the, and I said they're back with the same people, same stuff. They got some health code violations. I go, we get the secret weapon. They serve Mama Zuma's revenge potato chips, <laughs> which God only knows what those chips are. Uh, another final shout out I want to give is to the uh, the U.S. We can finally end our Olympic talk here. Awful Olympics. I'll just be the first to say that. Awful Olympics. Uh, well, we've lost the medal count to Mother Russia. So after beating them in hockey, making them look like fools, we end up blowing in the sports that we were good at, and Vladimir Putin ends up having the last laugh. Our U.S. speed skating we'll team... Find laugh. Exactly. Our U.S. speed skating team did not medal, which prompted uh, a lot of backlash at our good friend Kevin Plank, CEO of Under Armour, for saying... This moron created a suit that essentially they did right for the Olympics. They did, they did not wear these suits during the trials or any of the pre-tune-up events. Fantastic. So they gave them fresh new suits that were awful. Even after the change, <laughs> it was awful. The poor guy is getting slack, which I like Kevin Plank because, according to Ian, our good friend Ian Lutz, uh, Under Armour was originally started in Bethesda, and then... Uh, because Plank, alma mater, is Maryland. That's why it's in Baltimore now. Interesting. Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So because our, Olympic, because our speed skating Olympic team is so bad, I want to read a quote, and this is from Dutch speed skating quote, uh, coach Jorrit Amena. Friend of the show. Basically saying uh, U.S. lacks speed skating focus, because I think the, the, the Dutch speed skating team won 22 of the 24 possible medals. And so he says, quote, you have a lot of attention for foolish sports like American football. You waste a lot of talent, athletic talent, in a sport where it's meant to kill each other, to injure each other. And then at the very end, he says, uh, I think that the gold medal in speed skating is just as valuable as the gold medal in basketball, which we take very covetly in the United States. Absolutely. He says, and we won 22. And he goes, you'll never win 22 in basketball. So this guy is ripping us as a U.S. culture for us loving the sports that one does not have an Olympic medal, football. Uh, one that does that won't, baseball, because I don't think it's in the 2020 Olympics. So it's not. Basically, it's Olympics. Where, yeah, it's not. Baseball is no longer. And basketball only has one. So while the Dutch continue to dominate skiing, we are the laughing stock of winter sports, which I don't like that. We need to so we need to find better skaters. I also love the Kate Hansen story. She was basically had never done luge before. Yeah. She skated. She uh, skated snowboard, but basically the U.S. Um, uh, Toboggan and Luge Association comes around the cities looking for the next Olympian. So that's great. You just sign a waiver. You're an Olympic. You're an Olympic person. Or for the Jamaican Boston team, you just raise 80, 80 grand, go to Russia, stink, but still get public attention. Absolutely. And the final shout-out is Dale Hart Jr. That, I was wondering. Please please continue. Show us some, show him some love, Flo. Well, I tell you, so it was a very interesting Daytona 500. Uh, you actually watched it this time. Absolutely. I did watch it. I was in uh, at uh, our town in uh, Florida Theater, like it was last year, but I was at home. And what was interesting, you know, the race started off, kicked off. It was interesting early on, uh, 39 laps and the rains come. It, it, it was thought that the rains were going to come, but we get a little uh, rain delay. And 
And uh, but it, it turned into it was supposed to be like maybe an hour, a couple hours. Turned into <laughs> turned into like a. You're gonna learn today. You're gonna learn today. Rain delay ever in NASCAR history. And what was interesting, there are 39 laps, and you have to get the, the Daytona 500 is 200 laps. So you have to get past half, halfway for it to be a complete race or the rains come. So, and then, then right after, because all the guys are jockeying to be in position should the rains come, because you can't control Mother Nature. So you're not certain when it will come. And then that could be in the race. So from the get-go, there was a... Uh, the racing, it was two and three wide the whole rest of the way. It was just great from last year when it was just single file. Exactly. And, it, and I mean, it, it was a little racy early on, but after that, and it was a hundred lap green flag run, and the range never came, but it was a green flag hundred laps, and the racing was awesome. Brad Keselowski said it, was, it, it probably was the hardest race to 2500 ever, which it definitely is up there because you're going two or three wide for a long time. Yeah, I haven't seen that since, like, the early 80s. Exactly. And it was it was very competitive. The guy with the best one, Carl Knight, was Dale Energy. He was a, he could, uh, on the restarts, he would be able to pull in front, and he was very hard in the past. You had a lot of guys that were in the mix, but Dale Earnhardt Jr., who... Uh, he ultimately went on to win. It was a huge, a huge victory uh, because it was only the third time he's won at Hendrick Motorsports. It was his eighth uh, restricted plate win, but it was first since October of 2004. And, you know, it's, it's been 10 years. And we, and we all remember how emotional and huge of a deal was when he won the 2004 Daytona 500. That was in 2014. You got to spot the chase, basically. Yep. Now you have one more Daytona 500 win than the legendary Dan Lenhart had. And this was the first race with the three back with Austin Dillon, who won the pole. He got top ten. Got a top ten after he was in some incidents. Didn't have a great race, but he got to got a, a ninth place finish. But it was definitely, as far as I can remember, the uh, at least of, of once that I've watched, the best Daytona 500. I mean, it was a fun race. It was wild. The racing was great because, again, they were going green flag for a while. They, there were a couple of instances, but they were mostly back in the pack. But uh, even up front, it was two, three wide. It was really hard racing. But it was it was a wild race, and it was awesome. And I give a lot of credit for Dale Earnhardt Jr. A lot of people talked to him because that was crew chief. Next year, he's going to be joining the return of NBC Sports' NASCAR coverage, Steve LaTorte. So people wonder, can Dale Earnhardt Jr. possibly make a title run for the first time ever. So the past two drivers that have been in this, like, lame duck situation ultimately have done fantastic. You had Kenseth, who I believe finished third in the points of his last year in Roush, or he was up there. He won Homestead. He won the last race of the year. So he basically went out when he knew he was leaving Roush. Kevin Harvick last year with Childress, he went after the great... Uh, Austin Dillon, oh, Ty God. Dillon debacle at Martinsville. Oh, oh, <laughs> he finished third, almost won the title. He did. When uh, won a race in the chase. So, and, but Junior's in a different situation now. He's not leaving. And he's just getting a new crew chief. But he has nothing to lose now. Yeah, and you know what? And everyone said on the Fox Sports coverage, when he won, it was the most exciting people have seen Dale Earnhardt Jr. in a long time. Because it was crazy. Fist pump in. He was going in. nuts. Because we've known Dale Earnhardt. Well, I mean, we don't know. But uh, he, he's never been a very emotional guy. A lot of times, he's a little reserved. 
Um, but he's, you know, he's a big fan of NASCAR history. We know that. Um, also, at times you can tell. Sorry, I cut you off. Also, at times you can tell he carries a really huge burden. He does. He's the most popular driver in the sport. But now people are like, it looked like in his early years at DEI, when he was first coming up, that he was going to win a title. But now he went to Hendrick Motorsports specifically to win a title, and he hasn't won a lot of races. So now I think he definitely feels because his father was such a legend, and he has this huge fan base. So, but I think. Uh, we could possibly see a new Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Because, like I said, it was really cool to see how excited he was. Because winning the Daytona 500 is a big deal, and especially if you win two. But he was just – it was it was awesome. Awesome race. I loved it. Cool to see him pumped up. Glad to see him win. It basically, NASCAR is riding this wave of momentum. Yeah. Which is good. And there's nothing wrong with it. Exactly. Yeah, I'd love to see him make a run. Yeah. As, he's the first winner. Uh, has 529,000 Twitter followers, as he is on Twitter. Because he said he was going to join once he won the, if he won the Daytona 500. And now he's there, and now he's swing. And he did. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yeah, it'd be interested to see how he does on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Considering uh, he first admitted when he talked to uh, Jay Crawford on Sports Center, uh, he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> That that's great. So he, he has retweeted. He also mentioned uh, on Sports Center in his interview. He's a, a huge fan of the Washington Redskins. He is, which I had no idea. He's a big football fan. He's a big fantasy football fan. I mean, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Like when he literally uh, like a little like uh, bowed him off the track. Like he's got you know he, he's got a couple of owns a couple of restaurants. Got his own NASCAR team. Big uh, you know fan of. Uh, and his team swept the weekend. Are you gonna Smith one? That's right. That's right. And uh, so, yeah, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., you know, we heard of him off the track. He's kind of a fun-loving guy. You know, people hate to use the term good old boy, but he's, you know, a southern guy. Loves to have a lot of fun, just like us, except I'm not putting this out. But um, I'm just rambling, so let's just wrap it, it up. Yeah, it's good to see him go on this uh, this uh, giant wave. I love his tweets. He tweeted he went to a... Uh, a food truck, and the crazy socks he wears. We are going to, Twitter is going to unveil a new side of Junior, and we love it. We do love it. We love it. Uh, setting shift for next week, <laughs> our final episode before Snack Radio goes on spring break. Yes. Which we'll be partnering with uh, Four Logo <laughs> in Panama City. Oh, God. You're not going to Panama next, City. Uh, next week, we could do some, um, some spring training talk. If we get to it, will be will we survive uh, the Islamic Africa midterm? We'll be able to breathe after the bath. Yeah, we'll have a, a detox okay. session with uh, yoga and meditation afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can get some um, some good guests on the show next week. Hope so. Yeah, great show this week. It was back to back weeks. Going as always. I want to thank Brandon Latham for coming here talking about Oscar talk. I want to thank Mike Gardner for leaving without me for the show. Uh, yeah, you can check out the podcast on iTunes. Uh, I'm sorry. Go to blogtalkradio.com slash snackradio, bflow360.com. Check out Flow that's dominating the blogosphere. Uh, tune in next week, 4 to 5, every Friday, mm. here on BTR. But for Graham Burns, Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We will see you next time.